Welcome to New Covenant Church. You're listening to this week's message by Senior Pastor Chris Valdez. Well, if you have your Bible, uh, you can turn to Matthew chapter 28. We'll get there in just a moment. Um, Easter Sunday is just a couple weeks away, and we'll be uh, celebrating not only the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on the cross for us, but most importantly, his resurrection to life. And we're going to get into that, or we will get into that in great detail on Easter Sunday morning. But as we draw closer to that celebration, um, as I just prayed and asked God what, what we needed to be doing as we led up to that, what he put on my heart was uh, just to teach on baptism and communion. It's something we do pretty regularly here. We have baptisms regularly. We have uh, have communion elements available every week, and then once a month we take congregation communion together, um, but we don't necessarily teach on it that, that frequently, and I just really felt like God was uh, laying these two things on my heart. So the first question that I want to answer this morning is, what is baptism? So the word baptism uh, comes from a Greek word that means baptizo, and it means to uh, submerge uh, it also means to immerse, and the word submerge can refers actually to like a sunken ship, you know, totally underwater, um, to cleanse by dipping or submerging, to wash and to make clean with water. So at its most basic description, we could describe baptism as getting dunked in water, just the physical act that we do. You take your body, you put it underwater, you bring it back up. And uh, for those of you that may not know, behind the screen we have what's called a baptismal. It's basically just a big tub that we fill with water when, when we have a baptism scheduled. Uh, if you've never been baptized before and are considering it, you'll be happy to know that ours is heated. <laughs> so it's warm water. You're not getting into a cold pool of water. It's very comfortable. Um, but so that's just the physical aspect of what baptism is and what it means. But it means so much more than that. Um, there's a spiritual aspect to baptism that means so much more than the physical nature of what is happening. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. If you turned your Bible to Matthew 28, we're going to start in chapter, I mean, sorry, in verse 18. Um, if you don't have your Bible, it'll be up on the screen, but you can read along with me. And this is Jesus speaking. It says, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And then in Mark uh, chapter 16, 16, and this will just be on the screen, Jesus said, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. So Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, commanded us. He commanded, he actually commanded those who believe. Um, one of the things that I love uh, in the New Testament, you, you may have heard uh, a phrase like, have you, um, you know, prayed the salvation prayer? Uh, or if you've said certain words to get saved. In the New Testament, there is no, you can't find that prayer that asks Jesus into your heart. There's no specific words. What it does say, and you can find in multiple places, is they were sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. They were sharing the truth. And then it would say those that heard, believed, and then they were saved. So to be saved, you have to hear the truth and you have to believe it. And what Jesus said himself is, if you have believed, 
and then uh, follow in baptism, you're saved. It's just those, those two things. So if you have heard the truth of Jesus Christ and believed, then you're saved. And then his first commandment is then be baptized. And that's what we're talking about this morning. So if, if being uh, brought into this new life with Jesus and being uh, saved isn't enough, and Jesus' command to us, that, he's, that, that the Son of God, our Lord and Savior, has commanded us to be baptized. If that's not enough reason, uh, Jesus didn't just command it to those that believed. He did it himself as an act of obedience. In Matthew uh, chapter 3, if you're still in Matthew, you can just flip over a few chapters, but it'll also be up on the screen. Matthew 3, verses 13 through 16, it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. Uh, so Jesus himself was obedient in what he was asking us to do. Uh, the example that came to my mind in the first service was um, something that happened when our, our girls were young. Um, Kenny and I, were they were starting to learn how to make their bed, and we were talking about, well, should we make them make their bed? And Kenny and I didn't always make our bed. And so Kenny and I had a conversation. And I said, you know, it really doesn't matter to me if our bed's made or not or the girls' bed's made or not it's like whatever you want to do i'll totally support you in that but i said but i will say if we're gonna make them make their bed we gotta make our bed (laughs) you know it's like if if we're not gonna make them make our bed then we don't have to make our bed either (laughs) you know hey it gets us out of that um and and you if you've parented you know uh the mess you're gonna get in if you command or try to get your kids to do something that you won't even do yourself and so Jesus has commanded us uh, to get baptized, but he did it himself. He was willing to submit to it as well, and he did that act. So, so not only did, did he command it, not only does he say, if we believe and do this, we're going to be saved, but he gave us an example. Um, one of the most common statements about baptism is that it's an outward sign of an inward grace, of that God has done something on the inside of us, and baptism is just an outward physical sign of what He did spiritually, and that is true. Um, and since it's an outward sign, it becomes a pu- public profession of our faith in Jesus Christ. And in Matthew ten thirty two, Jesus said, "So everyone who acknowledges me before men." I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So one thing I want to point out, and this scripture is often used for baptism. It's saying, well, we're supposed to publicly profess Christ. Baptism is a public profession. So they tie those two things together. And I don't think that's a, a wrong thing. But if you look at the context of that verse... It's actually talking about professing like with your mouth, like being out in the community and being willing to say, I'm a Christian. I follow Christ. I believe in him. Here's the truth that Jesus Christ came and saved us. And and so just being willing to live our Christian life wherever we are. And so it works 
for baptism, but it goes much beyond that. Um, so we're just called as Christians to not be ashamed of the one who saved us, not to be ashamed of Christ. Um, the other thing I want to point out this morning is that baptism didn't just show up in the New Testament. It was foreshadowed in the Old Testament. And foreshadowing just means that it's an advanced notice of what is to come. So God was giving mankind a preview or picture of what was to come in the Old Testament. And I'm going to mention uh, four times this was foreshadowed. It doesn't necessarily mean it's all the times in the Old Testament that God foreshadowed baptism. But um, the first one was the flood with Noah. Uh, that that was a foreshadowing of baptism when he covered the earth that saved Noah and his family. The next one is the Israelites with Moses when they crossed through the Red Sea. And, you know, Moses stretched out his hand, the Red Sea parted, and they walked across through the water on dry land. And God saved his people through the water. Um, And so that was a foreshadowing of baptism. The next one was when Joshua and the Israelites came into the promised land. God parted the Jordan River and the Israelites went through the water again. And again, it was a foreshadowing of baptism. And then the final one is a prophetic word that God gave to Ezekiel. And he talks about a process that basically describes uh, baptism. This morning, we're going to really just look at one of these examples in detail. Um, and it's the specific story of Joshua leading the Israelites through the Jordan when, when God uh, parted it. And this was one of the places that Candy and I um, physically went to when we were in Israel. And I saw something there in that process that I'd never seen before. And that happened several times on that trip. They would be teaching us from the scripture and they would be talking about a particular story and mention some facts. And several times I'd lean over to Candy or she'd lean over to me and we'd be like, I don't think that's in the Bible. You know, I don't, I don't think, I don't, they don't know what they're, and this is a pastor that I've known for a long time, and I, but, and I, I still doubt it, because I was like, I've read that before, and I don't remember that, and surely, you know, we must be right. <laughs> and so, uh, but luckily, we never raised our hand and, you know, showed our wisdom in front of the whole crowd. We'd go back and look, and sure enough, what they said was there, and I was like, how could I have read that over and over and over? It's amazing how either when we've been taught something or read something, like in this case, this, the Israelites going into the promised land. It's all about them getting into the promised land and the water parting and them going across on dry land. So all the details aren't important, right? As long as we get that big picture thing. But sometimes there's some details that are really important. And we're going to see that in just a moment. Before, we'll, we'll look at these uh, pictures real quick and I'll explain them then we'll get into the the scripture um, so the first one is a picture of a church and that church is actually on the other side of the Jordan which is actually in the nation of Jordan so you'd get in a lot of trouble if you swim across they don't <laughs> you're on Israel and you'd be going into another nation if you just cross that river um, so it's a natural border um, the second photo is um, that you can see where people are gathering and they're getting baptized in the Jordan. So they're actually doing what we're uh, talking about this morning. And then the last photo is looking upstream. And I like this photo just because I think it's closer to maybe what things might have looked like when the Israelites crossed, when Jesus and John the Baptist were there, just because it's natural. Um, you know, you can just see all the, the vegetation in the river kind of by itself. One thing that stood out is, and maybe standing out to y'all, is it looks like a creek, doesn't it? 
You know, weren't you? It's like you think river, it's going to be a lot bigger. Well, one of the other things that we experienced while we were there was that uh, things have changed over time. And so like uh, and even uh, drastically, even in the last hundred years, so where they clearly knew uh, water levels and all that kind of stuff, um, we were at the Dead Sea and driving in the bus and way down. I mean, it was a I don't think it maybe not quite a mile, but it was way down. You saw the shore of the Dead Sea and we're way up here on this road driving. And there's like this canyon on our right side. And they slow down the bus and there's a mark on the canyon wall. A hundred years ago, some students, and I don't remember what school it was from, but some students were doing a study or research there. And in a boat, they made that mark on the canyon wall for where the water level was. That was just a hundred years ago. And I mean, this is a huge sea, miles and miles long. And so if you go that, you know, how far the slope goes down all the way up to that mark and then take it out all the width of the sea, that's a whole lot of water. You know, just even the last 20, 30 years here in Texas, we've had whole lakes that used to be high. Now they're just, they're just like prairie. You know, so I mean, we can see how that happens. And so the same things happened there. The Sea of Galilee used to be a lot bigger. The, this, um, they said uh, back then through studies that the, especially in flood season, which we'll read in a moment, this happened in flood season, the river could go from 100 feet wide to a mile wide. And this, this what we're about to read, happened during flood season. So um, look at Joshua 3, if you want to turn there in your Bible, or it'll also be up on your screen. But Joshua chapter 3, starting in verse 7, it says, The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant When you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Verse 13. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So God's actually saying... It says, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. God's saying, I am going to put myself in the river and it's going to stop the waters and they're going to pass through God. As soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. This is where it's saying it's flood season, so there was a lot more water. Verse 16, The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarathon, and those flowing down toward the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. One other little tidbit I threw out there is, you know, in our own strength as, as human beings, even the little river that you saw, the what we'd call a creek, we couldn't dry that up today and walk tomorrow 
across on dry ground, you know, that even at the little size. So regardless of the size, this was a huge, huge miracle. But God did it when there was was much, much more water. But I don't know. Did did I don't know if anybody caught what stood out to me, though. And it's I've got to underline. What does it say? God backed up the water to where? To Adam. So Adam was actually a city name. But who is also named Adam? The first man, you know, the first human being that God created. And like I said, this I've read this who knows how many times. Never even, you know, this isn't even one of those things that it's another, you know, that that's the this, but in Hebrew it means this word and this is what that means. You don't need all that. to. It says Adam right there. You would think that would be enough to to make us ponder and say that might mean something. You know, that, that God said this is a detail we're going to include so God brings them to a point, stops the water, puts himself in the place of the water to stop it. And it says the water backed up very far away to Adam. So God, and we're talking about how this is a foreshadowing of what to come. And we're going to talk here in a second about Joshua's name and Jesus' name and how it's even more of a foreshadowing. But God says, I'm going to take you all the way back to Adam You're going into the promised land. My grace, my mercy, everything that I'm going to do, it goes all the way back to Adam. I'm not leaving anybody out. I'm not leaving anything out. Everything is included. It goes back to Adam. And we're going to read in a moment in Revelation chapter 8. It says the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. God made uh, the plans for our salvation before he created Adam. And so even in this act, he's saying, I knew this was going to happen. I knew this was the path we were going to take. And I made plans ahead of time to take all of this into account. And the other really neat thing that we found out that I wasn't aware of is, and they know, again, everything that I saw there, um, I kind of reterm and say we were in the vicinity of you know where this happened. I think last week um, or when we shared on Israel Candy, um, like showed the picture of where they think Peter's uh, mother-in-law would have lived. And they actually have the house that they say they think this is where she lived. And so they call it Peter's mother-in-law's house. Well, there wasn't like a sign on the doorway that said, you know, Peter's mother-in-law's house. They're just kind of guessing and making some assumptions and things like that. What we do know, though, is we were in the city where she lived. And so we were absolutely, it'd be like saying Peter's mother-in-law lived in Lampasas and, you know, thousands of years they come to Lampasas and find the the remnants and they say, so-and-so lived here in Lampasas. We may not be able to find the house, but we're in the vicinity, you know. So we were in the city, we were in the town where Peter's mother-in-law lived and she may or may not have lived in the house that they call her house. But we were still in that vicinity. And so the same thing is, is for what I'm about to say, is we were in the vicinity of where the Israelites crossed the Jordan. The other thing that by what the Bible says and the, the area and all that, that they know, is that this is the same vicinity where John the Baptist was preaching and where he baptized and where Jesus got baptized and also then where Jesus went from that point to be in the desert for 40 days before he was tempted by the by Satan. So all of that happened in this vicinity. Those pictures that you just saw, that's the vicinity of all those things. And I just thought, isn't it amazing 
that God said, not only am I going to deliver the Israel, you know, from captivity with uh, Moses, from bondage into freedom through the Red Sea, then with Joshua, which means that God is salvation. I'm going to lead them into the promised land through the Jordan, uh, backing the river all the way up to Adam. And then many, many years later, John the Baptist is going to baptize my son, Jesus Christ, in the same spot. Go again. He was crucified before the foundation of the world, backing it all the way up to Adam and going to all eternity in the future. He's saying, I'm making provision for the salvation of my people. And this is really, really cool if you um, aren't aware that Joshua's name is actually very similar to Jesus's. It's not in English, but in Hebrew, Joshua's name is Yehoshua. And Jesus' name, is, as many of you may know, is Yeshua. And that's the Hebrew form of the word. And Yeshua was a common alternative for the name Yehoshua. Basically like a short, what do we call that, a... Nickname, yeah, it could be like a nickname. Um, so Yehoshua means Jehovah or God is salvation, and that was Joshua's name. And Yeshua means salvation, just salvation or God saves, and that was Jesus' name and what it means. And biblical names commonly reveal the character and attributes or destiny of a person, and that um, absolutely applies to Joshua and Jesus. And the reason that Jesus came to earth was for salvation, to save his people from their sins. I'm going to quickly share a couple of Old Testament examples that are, are going to bring this point across. And remember, Yeshua means salvation. So anytime that you see the word, uh, when we're reading the English translation of the Bible, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. So every time you read the word salvation, the actual word in Hebrew is Yeshua. And then in the New Testament, it's not written in Hebrew, it's written in Greek. They, uh, the word is pronounced um, Iesus, and that's the word from the Greek that then we got Jesus. So Jesus went to Iesus, which means salvation. Jesus means salvation. And then you go into the Hebrew word, which is Yeshua, and it means salvation. We've just changed the word, but the base meaning is still the same. That Jesus means salvation or God saves. Um, so in the Old Testament, we see the word salvation, but our salvation has always been through Jesus Christ, through Yeshua. And like I said a minute ago, Revelation 13, 8 says the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. From before God created Adam, he had planned for our salvation. And God always had salvation, always had Yeshua backed up all the way to Adam. Listen to this scripture from Exodus 15, 2. It says, Adonai, which is the word meaning God. Adonai is my strength and song. He has become my salvation, my Yeshua so we say that scripture is saying God, Adonai, has become my Yeshua. And we know that, that the Father, there's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus said to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that we believe in a triune God. It's three parts, but one God. And in the Old Testament from Moses, he's saying Adonai has become my Yeshua. 
God has become Jesus Christ. God is becoming man. And this is an exodus from Moses. He's saying God is our salvation. He will always be our Yeshua. And he comes then as our salvation. And he says he's going to come. And he tells Mary and Joseph, and you're going to name him Yeshua. He's going to be your salvation. And then Psalm 98 two. this is David. He says, Adonai has made his salvation known. So Adonai, God, has made his salvation, his Yeshua, his son, Jesus, known. From the very beginning, it was the plan. And in, these are just two verses, but more than 150 times throughout the Old Testament, the word salvation, you'll find that word. And the root word of it is Yeshua. It's a, it's a word for God. It's salvation, that God is our salvation, and that's who He is for us in Jesus Christ. But as we read in Romans, and there's other scriptures uh, that, that we've studied before, um, that say Abraham, in the Old Testament, it says that God took his faith, that he believed in what, what was to come, and he made a promise that he said, through your seed... What's to come, not only are, are your people, the Israelites, going to be saved, he says the whole world is going to be saved. The Gentiles will be saved and blessed and included in your seed. And, and in the New Testament, Paul references that scripture and says that was Jesus Christ. That God told Abraham, and it's just like what we talked about earlier, there wasn't a specific prayer they prayed. It says Abraham believed and it was accounted to him as righteousness because he believed in Jesus Christ before Christ had come because God told him of what was to come and he believed and he had faith. And so we have the blessing of being post-Christ. Pastor Dell, you know, preached about the Holy Spirit and Jesus said, not only do you have, are you going to know that I came and died on the cross for your sins? It's going to be better for you because I'm even going to send the Holy Spirit who's going to be in you and dwell with you and teach you everything that you need to know and give you power, give you everything that you need to walk out in the new life that you have. And that's what baptism is talking about, our new life that we have in Christ, that we literally died and are resurrected again into life. There was an, an example I read um, a long time ago, and it was about, it's a true story of a, of a gang uh, member that came to Christ, and he got saved, and he was changing his whole life, and um, he sent out um, invitations to his funeral and said, you know, to everybody that he knew and invited them to his funeral, and it was at a church, and what it really was was he was getting baptized, but he got it. He knew the old me is gone. This is a new me and I'm going down as the old and I'm coming up a whole new person. And so these people came expecting to be at his funeral and he was alive, but it wasn't him. It wasn't the person that they knew. It was a new creation. Everything that was went under and nothing that was came back up because he was a new creation in Christ. And uh, Deuteronomy 6.23, it's not going to be on your screen, but I just want to mention it really quick. This, is, this really goes to Moses and the going through the Red Sea part, uh, that, that symbolism and that foreshadowing. But Moses in, in Deuteronomy 6.23 says, 
He brought us out that he might bring us in. God did not save us just to save us. It wasn't just to get our ticket that we can hold on to to get into heaven. And God didn't set Israel free from the bondage and the the slavery that they were under in Egypt just to be free. Moses said in Deuteronomy 6.23, He set, He brought us out to bring us in, to take us into the promised land. He has a purpose. And when we come to Jesus Christ, He doesn't just set us free from death and bring us into life. He doesn't just take away the bondages of sin. He takes that away and He makes us free so that we can come in to life. And so that we can live in Christ and we're told that in Christ we're a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 1 Peter 3.21 says, Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to Him. And Ezekiel 36, 25 is where he gives the prophecy to Ezekiel. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That's God saying in the Old Testament, I'm not taking you, uh, just taking you out. I'm bringing you out to bring you in. I didn't just say, I'm going to put a new heart in you. I'm going to give you my spirit. And that's what Jesus then comes and says, it's going to be good that I go because I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to you. And then Pentecost happens and the Holy Spirit comes. And that's where we are today. He will bring us out to bring us in into a new life, totally set free, totally uh, through the Holy Spirit, given everything that we need to follow Him and do what He's calling us to do because He's giving us the power and the ability. And all of that is encapsulated in baptism. It's that outward sign of an inward grace. It's on the outside saying, yes, you really did die. Everything that used to be you is no longer alive. And when you go under, you leave that life behind. And when you come up, you're a new creation. So this morning, I would just ask you, if you uh, have believed, if you have heard the truth and believed, but you've never been baptized, we'll have some prayer teams up here. You can talk to them about that. You can talk to Pastor Daryl or myself or any of the other staff, and we can Get, get that scheduled. We'll get the water and we'll get it warmed up for you. It'll be nice and ready. And we can do that. Um, if you've never believed this morning, literally, if you have heard what I've been saying about Jesus and him being our salvation, if you've heard that this morning and believed, that's all it takes. If you've really believed, then he will change your life and he will make you totally new. And again, just talk to us and we can line up the baptism and and get that done.
I love what Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 23. He's bringing us out that He might bring us in. Jesus Christ, our Yeshua, our salvation. He's always been our salvation. And God took it all the way back to Adam for all of us. And it's available. And all we have to do is believe. Will you bow your heads with me this morning? Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We thank you so much for who you are and what you've done. Before the foundation of the world, you were planning for our salvation. Before the the foundation of the world, you were ready to come as Yeshua, as Jesus Christ, to save us. Before we needed saving, you were willing because you knew what would happen and you planned on it. And you were willing to make that sacrifice. You loved us before we were born. You loved us before we were created. And all we have to do is believe. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit this morning would open our hearts, open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear, Lord. And that this morning, if someone who did not have a relationship with you is here, Lord, that this morning they heard truth and will believe and will be saved. Lord, I pray that any of us who have not followed you in obedience and baptism would do so. In your name we pray. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information or to listen to past sermons, go to newcovenantlampasses.com.